Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Fundamentalists are quick to apply biblical texts to current events, making fantastic claims about world leaders, foreign countries, and, as Matthew says, about wars and rumors of war. Aside from having no real or legitimate connection to the Bible or reality, such claims always deflect God's wrath, leveling judgment at other groups and other cultures, but never at the Bible's intended audience, the person reading it. In this week's episode, Richard and I reflect on Hosea chapter 4 and the insight it brings to recent examples of aberrant behavior among preteens. The discussion demonstrates how the Bible can and should be applied to current events without succumbing to self-righteousness or ignorance. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Episode 70 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Richard, you and I had a conversation last week. We were just chatting about some of the difficulties that your sister-in-law, who is a teacher in the public school system, some of the difficulties that she's seen with the kinds of emotional trauma and behavioral dysfunction the children are bringing to school. Young kids, eight, nine years old, who are engaging in lewd behavior in front of authority figures in order to scandalize the authority. This is not something that an eight-year-old kid can figure out on their own. The problem is that these are learned behaviors. Now, whether they're learning it from their parents or learning it from an abuser or learning it from the television, it's frightening what you're saying that preteen kids are basically already off the deep end in terms of these extreme behaviors. Not only are they engaging in these behaviors, but thinking of the environment that they're in where this is the kind of education that they are receiving, like you said, Father, whether it's from other adults in their lives or from TV or Internet. What kind of unchecked use of the Internet does an eight-year-old have? And what do they see as a result? What are they exposed to in terms of violence or abuse? It's funny because people often talk about how different texts, any text, even in the New Testament, Revelation offers a textbook example of this kind of fundamentalism. Well, they'll look at a text like Revelation and they'll say Revelation predicts the following geopolitical events and they read it as a fortune cookie and then they claim a kind of moral authority to be able to predict what's going to be reported on CNN on the basis of what is written in Revelation. Never mind that Revelation it was written centuries ago and is applicable not to modern historical events, but to the situation of the early church in the Roman Empire. But another example, which has proven to be a fantastic tragedy for the modern Middle East, is fundamentalism with respect to the prophets. And again, people read the prophets as though they are a fortune cookie written to predict the future 
and they read the prophets as though they are talking about the state of Israel or the people of Palestine or the people of modern Egypt. I mean, this is silly. I often challenge Americans who say, oh, well, you know, they've been fighting over this in the Middle East for, you know, thousands of years. I say, no, they have not. There was a civil war in 1948, and the problem began shortly after World War I when they partitioned the Middle East after the fall of the Ottoman Empire. There's no connection between what the prophets are saying about history, per se, and what's happening in the modern Middle East. But there is a way in which the prophets do apply in a very literal way. And the vehicle, as always on this podcast, is the vehicle of metaphor. When Hosea, for example, in chapter 4, levels a critique against the priests, I mean, the setting in the narrative of Hosea is the temple and the priesthood. But the reality is, He's talking about anyone who has responsibility for education, be it a parent, a teacher, or a modern pastor or minister or priest or whomever. And so it's in this sense that when I hear you giving examples about how these children are obviously suffering from neglect and abuse, and we're seeing obvious consequences from that neglect and abuse, it's hard for me not to think of something like Hosea chapter 4 and how we are living the consequences of disobedience that's described there. The Bible has an agenda. It's trying to offer a teaching. It's trying to convince you that this teaching is correct and necessary. And one of the vehicles it uses to convince you of that, one of the rhetorical techniques it uses, is to show you the situation that's going to result if you don't follow the teaching. Actions and consequences. It's really a dominant mechanism, and that's what judgment is in Scripture. As you talk often, Father, about the scientific nature of this, you know, you have a hypothesis of what you think is going to happen, and then you run the experiment, and you gather the data, and then you check your hypothesis. So I think the correct way of looking at this is to say, okay, the hypothesis is that if you don't follow Torah, if you don't include Torah at the center of individual and societal life, then everything's going to break down. Okay, now look at data and see if you have data that match up with the hypothesis. What I was presenting before is data, and now we're going to look at the hypothesis and see how the data line up with that hypothesis. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Knowledge of God really is here talking about the information, the teaching that God has been trying to convey. At Sinai, everyone knew God because they heard all the rumbling and thunder, but that's irrelevant because there's a reason why he was thundering at the top of the mountain. It was to get their attention so that he then could deliver to them Torah, his teaching. Mm -hmm. God doesn't appear just so you ooh and ah. God doesn't communicate so you can ooh and ah. God communicates so that you know him, not personally, but know his teaching. And that's what's important here. And because there is no truth, mercy, or knowledge of God, I have a slightly different translation than you, Father. No knowledge of God in the land. You can't have faithfulness, and you can't have kindness if there isn't knowledge of God. Well, and it goes on, it says in English there is swearing, but what it means in the original Hebrew, what it says, is that people are making oaths, meaning that there's no trust, and people are also speaking in a way that they don't have the authority to speak. You can't make an oath 
as Jesus explains in the New Testament, because everything that you are swearing by belongs to God. At the same time, why is there a breakdown in trust so that you can't simply say yes and no to each other and know that a person's word is reliable? So there's a breakdown in relationships and in the trust among people. People are lying to each other. There's deception. There is murder, which is the worst kind of betrayal, to take another person's life. There is stealing. People are taking from each other, defrauding each other. And, of course, there is adultery, which is an expression of the breakdown of the household, which is the foundation of everything in human civilization, in human society. Not only that, adultery, harlotry, points to infidelity, which ties back to what's happening in this section. People are behaving with infidelity towards God's teaching, and as a result, they're experiencing infidelity in their own marriage bed and in their household. And just to make reference to what I was mentioning before, you may have heard all these before in the Ten Commandments, which were given at Sinai. So the fact that this is not knowledge of God as a being or something, but knowledge of his teaching of his Torah is underlined in verse 2 here, because all of these things were delineated already in the Ten Commandments. So they know the rule. It's like in Galatians when Paul says, I'm just reminding you of what I already laid down. That's what Hosea is doing. That's what the prophets do. They remind you always of what was set forth in Sinai and then point out how you're falling short and what the consequences of that lack of fidelity are. So they employ violence, which is why God destroyed the earth in Genesis chapter 6 because of violence. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. Violence begets violence. So we are talking about the cycle of violence, the cycle of abuse, the cycle of mistreatment that begins when an eight-year-old comes to school and engages in crass, lewd behavior that's just off the charts in terms of what's remotely normative for someone that age. It's not just that this child is suffering because of a failing of their parents or their teachers. But what's going to happen to the child of this child? So it's not just violence that's circular. It's all sin that is circular. It's just that for Hosea, bloodshed is the ultimate, ultimate result of our defiance of the Lord. And it's the ultimate expression of his judgment against us. Therefore, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. And here you can very easily see the connection between the abuse that human beings exert on each other and on the land and the way in which our families suffer today, the way in which our exploitation of creation has caused you know, species to die off. It's caused the land to be poisoned. And you know, until now, we have been able to hide from this judgment because people with greater financial means can be sheltered from the consequences of our behavior. But when little children start going off the rails in the way that we're seeing more and more often in our culture, that's a key indicator that we're reaching a point where no one will be able to hide from these consequences. And in the context of the rest of the book of Hosea, this is the natural consequence when the land decides to go after other gods besides the Lord and thinking that those other gods are going to provide for them, thinking, oh, it's Baal who provides me with rain so that I can produce crops. And the Lord emphasizes that, no, actually, Baal doesn't provide those things. I've always provided for those things. And if you choose to leave me, 
you've chosen to leave the source of all those things that you need. Yet, let no one find fault and let no one offer reproof, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. People are going against the people who are trying to shepherd them. People can't stand to have someone impose this teaching on them. People are just fighting against the teaching. Which is what we're training our kids to do when they're rebelling against authority at such a young age. You mentioned it before, how this growth of fundamentalism and saying, oh, this has to do with that situation going on over there. Oh, this has to do with that situation going on in the other place. People are not interested in hearing this text and how it critiques them, the reader. Exactly. And this is the problem. They want to say, aha, no, I see how this Torah applies to those other people. Whenever you hear people complaining, oh, this wicked generation arising now, no one is ever referencing their own children. They don't say, oh, this wicked generation, just look at my son over here. They don't do that. They say, oh, this wicked generation, look at those kids over there. Look at those other people's kids. That is striving and reproving each other. You will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. So the mother here, if you look in the earlier chapters, the way that Hosea is set up, in the first chapter, Hosea is supposed to be marrying a prostitute, and people think of the prostitute as the people. Actually, it says in chapter one, the prostitute is the land, and the people are the children of the mother. So the question is to the children, are you going to be like your mother? Are you going to be unfaithful and go after your biological father, or are you going to be faithful to me and go with me, your adopted father, the one who's provided for you, the one who's given to you? You know, it's like oftentimes kids who've been adopted, people say, oh, have you ever met your real dad? And they say, yeah, my real dad is the one who raised me and who took care of me. I have a biological father whom I've never met. But my real father is the one who took care of me. One time I heard it called the bottom wipe test. Whoever wiped your bottom, that's your parent. When I was reading this passage, I was tempted to say, I will destroy Jerusalem, or I will destroy the land, or I will destroy the earth. And that is what he's saying here because of the connections you're drawing. But it has that extra nuance of the question of understanding who your real father is, because the flip side of your comment is that God has to decide who his real children are, because mm -hmm. his children aren't the people of Israel. His children aren't the baptized. His children are the people who act according to his teaching, and it is those who act according to his teaching that are his children Israel. Right? That's yes. the tension in the text always. Exactly. The destroying the mother relates back to verse 3 about the land mourning and everyone dwelling will languish. Destroying the mother is taking away all the things that the land produces in stripping the land of everything that covers her and making her dried up and dead. And then in the next verse, of course, we get to the heart of the matter. After he warns that he will destroy your mother, he then says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. And here again, when you hear the rejection of the priest, you have to hear it as a rejection of you as a parent, as a rejection of you as a teacher, as a rejection of you as a minister or a priest or a pastor of any kind. Anyone who is responsible for teaching and instruction 
And while Hosea 4 is referring specifically to instruction in the teaching of the Bible, the reality is the judgment applies to anyone who's teaching anything because all knowledge serves the common good. And no knowledge can be fed to a child without some measure of wisdom about behavior. And this text is dealing with behavioral wisdom. So there's a universality here that I think applies in a very specific way to the present situation in Western culture where everything is falling apart because we have eliminated behavioral wisdom in favor of a set of very generic principles that protect individual liberties. But wisdom isn't about protecting individual liberties. Wisdom is about helping people to grow to a full measure of maturity for their sake, and then by extension, for the sake of the common good. Hebrew makes a distinction like other languages when it addresses somebody, a you, that you can be either singular or plural, and it will use different words, whether it's a single person you're addressing or multiple people you're addressing. And what's significant here is that it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So that's a multiplicity of individuals, because you, singular, have rejected knowledge. I will reject you, singular, that you, singular, shall be no priest to me. So he's not saying my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So all of you rejected knowledge. No, 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 no. It's saying all the people out there are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you, reader, hearer of this text, rejected knowledge. I will reject you and you will no longer be a priest because you forgot God's Torah. And to the extent that the one hearing this is responsible for teaching and parenting and giving instruction, that admonition is ominous because the biblical God systematically holds parents and teachers and clergy responsible for what happens to children, whether it be literal children like the eight-year-old and the nine-year-old in your example, or it be your spiritual children in you know, a religious community, the fact is people will be held accountable for their behavior, whatever their intentions are, because behavior has consequences. But the greater condemnation, as Jesus says of Judas in the New Testament, always falls upon the one who causes the weaker brother to stumble. There's no question that parents and teachers and leaders and clergy, anyone who's responsible for others, are held to a higher measure than the others. But the second line, because you rejected knowledge, O hearer of the text, I will reject you. That's where it starts to boggle well, people's minds. It's mind. not enough to be a good citizen. It's not enough because your parents raised you, your teachers taught you, and this is a huge problem in the United States. Americanism and commercialism are a destructive force in our culture, individualism. And there are plenty of people who were reared correctly who cannot rear their own children correctly. This is a major generational breakdown. And it's because the current generation no longer seeks wisdom in the way that their parents did. And so therefore they have nothing to offer the next generation. Part of your responsibility as an adult is not simply just to be as an individual which again is the problem of individualism, you have to commune what you received to the next generation. And this is where we're failing. And where you do fail, it says you forgot the law of your God. You forgot the Torah, the teaching of your God, by not passing it down. That's the thing. If you look in the actual words of Torah, if you look at Deuteronomy 5 and 6, your job, 
you who receive Torah, first thing is that you repeat Torah all the time, whether you're lying, whether you're sitting, whether you're walking, whether you're going in, whether you're going out, you're always contemplating Torah. And then when your child asks, why do we do these things? You explain to them, we were brought out of Egypt and we received this teaching. So you can't say that you're following Torah if you're not teaching it. And since you have forgotten Torah, since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. So he goes on, the more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me, meaning that the problem is self-propagating. Once that break takes place where you are no longer drawing on wisdom for the sake of the wisdom of the next generation, once that break takes place, the next generation is cut off and they multiply, they have children and more children, but sin increases because there's no connection to the heritage of God's instruction. And as a result, as he says, I will change their glory into shame. And then he accuses the teachers. Again, he's talking about the priests, but it's a reference to those who are responsible to teach. They feed on the sin of my people. It may be that everyone in Hollywood knows how offensive it is that these children at this age are engaged in this behavior. It may be that everyone on Madison Avenue who makes commercials knows how offensive this behavior is and would never want it for their children. Yet they feed on this sin because it puts money in their account. And so they make movies and commercials that debase children. They make movies and commercials that tear down the fabric of our communities. And that's what puts bread on their table. They direct their desire toward their iniquity. They manipulate the people. The sin can also be the sin offering of the people. It's the same word in Hebrew. So this is a play in Hebrew because it says they eat up the sin offering of my people. Because that's the job. I mean, one of the ways that priests provide for themselves is that when the people bring a sacrifice to them, they get to eat the meat. That's how they provide for their families. But obviously, if you can find a way for the people to sin more, and they have to offer more sin offerings, then you get to eat more and you enrich yourselves. So it's to the priest's advantage to have the people sin more because then they get to eat more and better food. It's to the advantage of industry and large corporations. It's to the advantage of anyone who sells a product or a service that people lower their guard and are motivated and manipulated in any way possible to spend their money it's the same thing. It's easy for Hollywood to critique religion, but the critique against religion applies to Hollywood. This is the point that I'm making, because it's the same functional behavior. You are making money on the back of other people's suffering and on the back of other people's stumbling. And it will be, the Lord warns, like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. Everyone is going to face the consequences of what's going on. And as Paul says later in the New Testament, God is not mocked. And it's not as though God is throwing lightning bolts at people the way fundamentalists talk about hurricanes. What is happening here is that if you behave this way, there are results that will take place because this is how life works. So they will eat but not have enough. Now this could mean that they'll be hungry. It could mean that, as we've read elsewhere in the Minor Prophets, that they'll want to consume so much there won't be enough to satiate their appetite. So whether they're starving or they're engaging in gluttony, it doesn't matter. The point is there won't be enough. And that will cause more suffering and more violence. They will play the harlot but not increase because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. It's a very difficult text 
and I think does apply historically in a very specific and painful way. Again, the fundamentalist will play with a text like this and apply it to political events. They'll apply it to different nations. They'll apply it to different groups of people, but they never apply it to themselves. And I think that's the key, and that's the way in which this text holds power for instruction and a way and forward. This is such a powerful example of how scripture and specifically the prophets in scripture function to hold leaders to account to critique leaders now you can say i'm not a pastor i'm not a priest and so what responsibility do i have as soon as you have torah you have the obligation to teach now we say well I, I'm, a, I'm not a father i don't have kids well you know the thing is in scripture son is used in more than one way if you look at the book of proverbs the son is the student you create a son, you beget a son through a teaching. This is why the icon of Mary has the Holy Spirit entering into her ear. This is how she becomes pregnant, is with Torah. And this is how one begets a son in the manner of Torah. This is why adoption is not a big deal. It's because as long as you're teaching, you're creating sons. So even if you are not a father in the biological sense, you have the duty to become a father in the sense of Torah, to beget children of Torah by teaching. You always have an obligation to teach this teaching. Everyone is responsible to teach, whether you're a manager in a large corporation or you are a person working the fields with other people. In fact, that's the way scripture was written for people working in the field, so that the poetry of scripture would integrate with the work of your own hands, because it's meant to be conveyed as part of everyday life constantly. It's meant to be the thing that you refer to with the common everyday things that you're doing, which means there's no aspect of the human experience that can't be permeated by this instruction. And it is the instruction that will save us from the abuse that we are presently subjecting our children and our families and those we care about to, the abuse that we are subjecting people from other cultures to. I mean, this is not a blank check. There will be a day when we will be held to account for the resources that we are spending on the backs of the weaker brother and those who are in need. And our responsibility as disciples of the Bible is to work as hard as we can to undo the direction that we're headed. Thanks very much, Richard. I appreciate uh, this conversation this week, and I wish you safe travels. And I look forward to recording with you in person for next week's episode. I do too. Thank you, Father. Take care. Masih qam. Haqqan qam. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.